I don't know if anyone has experienced this before. Uh, have you ever come across someone who by earthly, maybe superficial standards would be considered attractive or handsome or good looking? Um, maybe they'd have model-like qualities, right? And you're like, wow, that's an attractive human being. That's an attractive person. And then they open up their mouth and start speaking and you quickly see the disparity between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. And you're like, ew, like so it just doesn't quite line up. Has that ever happened to anyone here? How about this? Because I know many of us, I know Dean's a, a world-renowned chef, so he's experienced this as well. Um, well, actually, he hasn't because he actually cooks good. But if you're like me, you go to bake something, and maybe the recipe will tell you that you're looking for that nice golden flaky crust at the end, right? And at the very end, you're like cooking, and it's all nice and ready, and then you go and you cut into it, and you realize that the inside is actually raw and not cooked. Whether it's chicken pot pie or whether it's, I've never made this, but beef wellington, which is something that before I die, I want to try to make. Um, whatever it is, it's like raw, and it's not cooked. Golden flaky on the outside raw and uncooked on the inside. There's a vision for the way things should be, the way we expect things to be when we look at them, the exterior. But what's on the inside is entirely different. And this is a dichotomy that Jesus often, I think, speaks about, particularly when addressing the Pharisees. And um, it's this dichotomy between the external appearance and the internal reality that actually exists. So I think that, that that happens to us at Christians as well, and it's that we forget this one quintessential truth. And it is the truth that is the basis for this last axiom that we're going through. And it is that what God does through you, he also does in you. What he does through you on the outside, he also does in you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I, I'm going to pray the words that a professor of mine, Ron Walborn, often prays as we enter uh, this sermon. Do everything you desire to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us. We pray this morning that we would be ears, we would have good ears to hear. God, I pray that our lives would be good soil to receive the word which you are giving us this morning. We pray that in your name. Say amen. 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 I have to apologize. I, I will pause often because I have a dry throat because of the sinuses I mentioned earlier. We live in a, in a day and time where... Um, how we come across to others has become paramount. It's, it's the filters that we put on our pictures. It's the snaps. It's the perfectly angled shots of the, of the food so that it captures the food, but that it doesn't capture the people that are behind the food. It's the perfectly trimmed videos that, that we're snipping just at the right moment. And it all has this, this end goal of how we come across to other people. And we get really good at it. So good that there are people that do this for a living. That is their job, to make sure you look good on the exterior to someone else. And as I mentioned earlier, it's something that Jesus calls out with the Pharisees. 
We're going to look at that from Matthew 23. This is what it says. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift the finger to move them. Jesus is talking to the crowds that had gathered as well as to the disciples here. Now, he knows that the Pharisees are there. He knows the scribes. He knows the teachers are going to be within earshot, but he's not directing his words to them. He's directing this warning to the disciples and to the people, and he's bringing up this dichotomy of external appearance and internal reality when it comes to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because the Pharisees, they, they knew the law. They knew the scriptures. Perhaps they even memorized them. Maybe, maybe they even remembered the smell of the scroll every time that they unrolled it. They knew where the words were because they went to the word often as they read from it. And not just that, they even taught others how to abide and live by those very laws. There was just one small little, little, little problem. See, they, they didn't live lives that reflected the words that they themselves taught. They didn't practice what they preached. Jesus continues in verse 5. He says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Now, I had to research this a little bit. A phylactery is a small leather box that contains uh, Hebrew texts, and it's worn by Jewish men in order so that they would remember the law. And then the tassels that are on their garments are to remind them of the commandments that they're given. Wide phylacteries, long tassels. All of it for show. They were not practicing what they preached. They loved the place of honor at the banquets. They wanted to be seated at the front, at the head of the table. They loved the most important seats, and they wanted to be greeted wherever they went as rabbi. It's, it's all about the title. You're going to dress me as apostle, as rabbi, as teacher, as instructor. It goes on in Matthew you know, uh, 25, but we're not going to continue. But it's all about this external appearance old and flaky on the outside, but they were raw and uncooked on the inside. It's interesting that it's not just the crowds that needed to hear this word, though. I wonder why Matthew included that this was being addressed not just to the people. He could have just said, Jesus addressed the people. No, it says to the crowds and to the disciples. They also needed the reminder of what was most important, because despite the fact that they were the closest among the people to Jesus. I mean, they, they saw what he did. They ate with him. They traveled with him. They communed with him. But here's the thing. Proximity, close proximity does not imply right posture. 
You could be as close as you want. You could come here early on a Sunday morning. You could be uh, a, a part of every single midweek opportunity. You could memorize the scripture right, left, up, down, diagonal, backwards in Hebrew, in Greek. You could have 17 different translations on your bookshelf. You could be as close as you think you might be. Gold and flaky on the outside. Uncooked and raw on the inside. And they miss. The, the, the Pharisees missed something. What is it that they missed? It, it might be what James says in one, James 1.22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I was watching a lecture uh, in our staff meeting a few weeks ago with Steve Cuss. Steve Cuss is a, is a pastor and an author, and it's a lecture that he was giving on managing leadership anxiety. And when he was talking to the people, he's telling them at the end, he's like, hey, I have my book in the back. You could buy it, pick it up on your way out, but I got to give you a guarantee. If you go and you buy it, you read it from cover to cover, and that's all you do, nothing will change. Because there's, there's something about applying that which what you're reading to your life. It was a modern-day transliteration of James 1.22. Don't simply read the words, but do what it says. I think that this morning, that's the reminder that we have before us, that, that as we share with others, as we share this life that God is inviting us to share, as we are sent in the marketplace, as we are sent people in the places that we go, we must remember that whatever he's doing through us God desires to do in us. Theologian and philosopher St. Augustine said this once. He says, what you want to ignite in others must first burn in yourself. In other words, the point isn't simply to light the world on fire with the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. That's, that's good and that's fine. But the deeper point is for you, for me, for us, for our lives to be ignited with the love, the mercy, and the, and the grace of Jesus. And that we would in turn light others as we go. Because we're, we're of little good if we are simply focusing on what, what Dean would call the broiler level faith of Christianity. We could put something in there in the broiler flash fry it, heat it up, get it nice, golden, and flaky on the outside. But what we're being invited to is something much more enduring, much more lasting. And this morning, I want to offer this invitation encapsulated in one word. We're being invited to abide. John 15 reads as this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burn. Oh, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And we're talking about this passage this week on Tuesday in our Tuesday group. And there were a few different nuggets that kept popping up. And I'm like, man, this is good. Um, and I want to share some of that and some other processing that kind of jumped out as I was preparing this sermon as points with regard to abiding. Number one, abiding is not the same as simply being present. The Pharisees were present. They knew the word of God, but not the God of the word. They were not abiding in him. Now, I love Sundays. I've been a musician leading worship for more than half my life. It's been a long time. I'm older than I look. I know I look young. Uh, And while I love this, we are ultimately called for much more than simply coming here on a Sunday morning. We are invited to abide in him. Number two, The only way to bear good fruit is to abide in him. Now, there are many things that that we can be connected to. We are branches, and there there are many vines that we can connect our lives to. Success, accolades, career, knowledge, education. And and we'll bear some fruit, but it's not necessarily going to be good fruit. The only way to bear good fruit is when we are abiding in him. Number three, pruning is necessary and essential to produce fruit. Anyone know what pruning is? We were talking about it on Tuesday, and essentially it's um, when the vine dresser or the gardener takes pruning shears and has to cut away vines and cut them pretty far back, prune them back, so that it can produce more fruit. And for some reason, Jesus takes specific intent with this passage to provide us with this picture of a gardener, a vine dresser, pruning or cutting things away from the vine, and this being a necessary process. And I would, what, what I was thinking through was, I wonder the times that the vine dresser is cutting things away, how many of those branches still look like they have life in them? They still look like, so, so even, even the moments in our lives where there are things that might appear good, the gardener comes and says, I, I want to prune that because even though it might appear good, it still might stifle the fruit that I desire to grow in your life. Pruning is necessary and essential to produce good fruit. Number four, pruning is not a one-time deal. Shocker. It actually, it's every year that it happens, meaning that at the end of a season where you produce maybe the biggest harvest that you've ever produced, the biggest load of fruit, even at that moment, the gardener comes around with his pruning shears and he cuts things away. And this is a cyclical thing that even, even when we feel like we're on a mountaintop experience, that we're in a mountaintop season of our life, that we are producing good fruit, Jesus is like, yeah, but there's still stuff that I need to cut away from your life. Number five, 
we abide, he produces the good fruit. All right? We we have to be aware of that reality that we are not producing in and of ourselves the fruits of the Spirit, love, patience, you know, all of those fruits. That's not our job. Our job is simply to abide. And that is our part to play. But his part is to grow the fruit. And last, six, bearing fruit is how we'll show the world that we are disciples of Jesus. Yeah, we can, we can polish our exteriors. We can say the right words. We can allow uh, just enough uh, to, to, to give the appearance that, that we want and have this facade. But the only way that the world will actually know that we are disciples of Jesus is by the fruit that we bear. And that's a risky place to be because we can get so caught up even, even in the work of God, even in the ministry of God, or in the call of God, or even in the purposes of God, that we can do all of this stuff on the exterior, and we can actually still miss God. We could do all of this work, we can do all of this here, and we could miss the essence of what God is trying to do deep within us. See, it, it's easy to give off this appearance. Like, we we see it and sometimes we do it. We post the Bible scriptures on, on, on nice little images that we get from the YouVersion Bible app. We sign up for the 21-day fast and we, 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 we post when we finish these different fasts and all of these things. And, and in the moments of most stress and most anxiety in our lives, we lack the fruit that only comes from abiding in him. And in those moments when we're lacking the fruit, when we're lacking gentleness, when we're lacking joy, when we're lacking patience, when we're lacking kindness, that's, that's, that's when we wonder, has it just been the out, have I just been focusing on the outside? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, poof, gone. We've become like the Pharisees like the scribes, like the teachers who knew everything well. We could put on the best of shows. I have been in church my entire life. I was born into a pastoral family. I, I know how to play the part. I know that whole thing. Nice, flaky, golden on the outside. But what's happening on the inside? Folks, our reminder again this morning is that what God does through you, he does in you. And it's not just that he does it, it's that God has a desire to do that work in us. That the fullness of the life in Christ would not simply be a truth that we preach about or that we post about or that we sing about, but that we live and that we embody because we are remaining in him. We are abiding in him. But not just that, and this is where I'll close. It's what we see in John 15, 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I was listening to a preacher by the name of Bob Sorge a few weeks ago, and he was talking about uh, this um, translation of the, the Greek words into word. And in Greek, there are two words that are translated into the English equally. And they are rhema 
and logos. And in English, they are both word and word. But there's no way for us to automatically know which Greek word we're reading when we read our English translation. As an example, John 1. In the beginning was the word. That instance is logos. In Matthew 4, in contrast, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That instance is rhema. Now, Bob Sorge defines it this way. He says, logos is the written word, and rhema is the spoken word. And we live by the rhemas of his mouth. In John 15, 7, when it says that if his word were to abide in us, that is, if his rhema, if his spoken word were to abide in us, that spoken word, that life-giving word, if we allow that word to abide in us, to take root in us, to sink deep into the crevices of our lives and into even the darkest and loneliest places of our souls, if we allow the things that God has spoken over us and to us to abide within us, the promises that he has spoken us, that he is with you, that he goes before you, that he will be with you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that you can have peace because he has already overcome the world, that he will uphold you with his right hand, that he will give you rest, that you do not have to be anxious because he will be with you, that you can be still because he will fight for you. These promises, yes and amen, this word, this rhema, this life-giving word, if it abides in you, you will bear much fruit. And when you bear, when you bear that fruit, that's going to be the sign that you're not just golden flaky on the outside, but you're going to be producing something good on the inside because you have spent time abiding in him and you have allowed the lasting, enduring word and life of Jesus to abide in you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray again that you would show us the things that you desire to do in us. God, I pray that you would, you would make us sick, that you would make us tired of this superficial, golden, flaky Christianity that is so easy because it's so prevalent. We can so latch onto that. God, I pray that you would make us increasingly sick of that and that you would create in us a deeper yearning, a deeper desire for the deeper work that you want to do within us. God, it's not enough to simply come. It's not enough to simply sing. It's not enough to simply recite passages. It's not enough to simply sign up. It's not enough to simply show up. God, we desire the deep, enduring work that you are inviting us into. 
that that would show up in the reality of the fruits of your spirit where our lives would be marked by more love, by more joy, by more peace, by more forbearance, by more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control, not because we have produced it, but because we have abided in you and you have abided in us. And that has produced the fruit. Not do anything that you desire to do in us so that you can do everything that you desire to do through us. We pray this in your matchless name.